You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. We've been studying the epistle to the Galatians for the last, what, three weeks, I think. And today we're at the end of chapter 1, Galatians 1, 18 through 24. If you brought a Bible, we're going to be thinking today about gospel power. Galatians 1, 18 through 24. Then... Paul loves this word in this epistle. He just, then, then, then. He just keeps using it. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, quote, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. I have a goal today. It's good to have a goal when you're going to do something, right, or when you're going to speak. Well, here's the goal today, and it'll be on the wall behind me, I trust. But uh, here is what I hope that we will see. The revealed gospel of Jesus Christ brings about transformed lives and results in God's glory. The revealed gospel of Jesus Christ brings about transformed lives and results in God's glory. We want to get there. That's the goal. The map we're going to use uh, has three areas to it. They're kind of three points, but I'll, I'll, I'm, when I preach, a lot of times my points kind of all blend together. I know. I'm sorry. But here's, here are the, here's the map we're going to use to get to that goal. Gospel revelation, gospel proclamation, and gospel transformation. Let's think first about gospel revelation. You know, as Paul was writing to these Christians in Galatia, relating to the congregation and writing to them about many subjects, his account of receiving the gospel into his own life by revelation had to be defended to a certain extent. Now, why would he need to offer a defense for his apostleship, or that which he had received by revelation from and about Jesus. Well, the reason was, as we've seen over the last few weeks, there were false teachers going around, and they were, in a way, trying to cancel out the legitimacy of Paul's message. And they were trying to say, yes, he preaches a wonderful gospel about Jesus, but he needs to add the Jewish law to it, and then you can really uh, have a complete picture here. Jesus and the law. And there were false teachers who were going around saying that. And they were, they were saying, therefore, Paul is not making Jews, so there's something 
wrong with the message that he's proclaiming. So Paul offered a defense of his apostleship and a defense of the very gospel that he was proclaiming. Now, there were other people, some who claimed that he was preaching what he had only gained by association, not by revelation. He rubbed shoulders with the right folks, the other apostles, and by association with them, he got the message, and that's what he was taking it. So they, in fact, Paul was saying, no, this was revealed to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they were coming along and saying, the other people were saying, well, he just, he just got that, not by revelation, but by association. Well, Paul understood that the gospel was at stake in those accusations. Uh, he knew that he needed to build a case for that the gospel coming by Revelation, a work of God to our hearts, to his heart, and proclaimed, and therefore transforming lives. So there were people who thought, well, if we can discredit Paul in some way, that will discredit his message. Because if the message is not powerful enough to change a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel that makes up the church, well, it must not be a very powerful message that he's proclaiming. Now, ultimately, we know that the message verifies the messenger. If the messenger doesn't have the right message, it doesn't make any difference how good he is at proclaiming something that's not true. But if the message has changed the life of the messenger, and then the messenger is proclaiming that message that has totally transformed his life, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power in that. And every one of us, even if we're not Preachers are proclaimers in that sense. We are those, I started to say we're livers, but we're, not, we're those who live the gospel. We're not livers. We're those who live the gospel. And if we live the gospel, it's going to be evident that our life has been changed, and therefore people can say, well, boy, that, that message has affected this person, and I'm a little more inclined to believe when I'm not sitting here thinking, you hypocrite. Are you saying this, but you're living this? You know, there's, there's something there. Ultimately, though, the message is what matters the most. But the message needs to be powerful enough to change the messenger. Now, Paul, in continuing his defense of having received the gospel by revelation and not just by associating with others, he kind of he wants to do this by sort of tracing his history so that everybody can hear and see it. And we've seen this in the last few weeks in chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... See, Paul is starting... He says, before I was born is where I'm starting this. Before I was born, he set me apart. Who called me by his grace... Remember, rode to Damascus, knocked off his horse, the light came, he struck blind for a time... When he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he wants them to see, this is how it happened. Before I was even born, the Lord had a plan that I didn't know about, but he changed me. He revealed Jesus to me, and then he revealed the message he wanted me to proclaim. This came by revelation. This is a powerful thing that has come. So then he gets to, to using, uh, well, look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle. Okay, some were saying, you're not an apostle because you're not making Jews. 
Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm called by God. God has changed my life. And what I'm proclaiming is not something strange or something that I got through a meeting, but by revelation, the power of the gospel. And he goes on and talks about that. Verse 12 of chapter 1. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's pretty insistent on that. And then in our text is when he starts using the word then. Verse 18, then after three years, being in Arabia and returning to Damascus, then after three years, I, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained within 15 days. 15 days, short time, uh, get acquainted. But he was there for 15 days with, with Peter and he mentions James also. Then verse 21 that we read, then, there it is again, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So he's saying, this is what happened. Before I was born, this happened. Then the Lord revealed himself to me, and then God made his call clear to me, and then I, I went away to, I didn't go and, and ask everybody, well, am I on solid ground here? So I went to Arabia, I returned to Damascus, and uh, then after a time, I, after three years, I went, I went over to Cilicia, into Syria, and then if you keep going, you get to another then. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Then, then, then. He's tracing everywhere that he has been from the time before he was born, what the Lord did, to the Lord's call on his life, the road to Damascus, to everywhere that he went. He's saying, this is, this is the history of it. This is the line of it. This is a man who is, has received by revelation a gospel that needs to be proclaimed. So his point in all, in all of that then, 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 and all of those kind of things, his point was to say the gospel has been revealed to you. I didn't get this from a confab with other people. We didn't have a confab in Jerusalem, and I walked away with everything that I needed. He said, this came by revelation. Now, he's not opposed to a confab. He's not opposed to meeting him. You're going to find out next week uh, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. It's not like he didn't care what anybody else thought. He did care. But he's saying, but the source of this gospel has been the Lord himself revealing himself to me, and I'm proclaiming now what I've been taught, and he's going to be able to say later on, and I talked with these other apostles, and what do you know? They agreed. <laughs> and and there, was a, there was a united front in the gospel. But the thing that made it so different was Paul's revealed mission because he had a mission that he was more aware of than anybody else in his day to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That um, would not have been a real popular idea. But the Lord said, this gospel is for all, not just Jews. You're not trying to make Jews you're trying to make disciples among the Jews and among the Gentiles. So Paul was 
Not given a, a secondhand message, but he was saying, this has so changed my life. And a lot of people knew it. This is the guy that persecuted Christians. And now he's proclaiming the gospel that he once persecuted. Something's different. Some people probably feared that. They probably thought, something's up here. Maybe he's doing this to kind of bring us out of the woodwork so that as soon as we come out of the woodwork and say, okay, that gospel message is very clear to me, then pow, in prison you go. Some people were afraid of that. That's why it was so important that a guy named Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, came alongside Paul at one point. We found about this, out about this in the book of Acts. And he said, listen, this man is different. God has called him. Listen to him. A friend, an encourager, who was known by a lot of the people. And Barnabas risked his own credibility and said, listen to this man. God has changed his life. So Paul had the gospel revealed to him in a very wonderful way. And then he wanted to proclaim that gospel, that message that he'd received by revelation. And what was it that he was proclaiming? When we think about this, well, if, if Paul is, he said, this, before I was born, the Lord chose me for this, and he's done this work in me, and now I'm going to proclaim it. What was he proclaiming? Well, he wrote about it all through his epistles. Let me just summarize a few things. He was saying that it was, this was a message of grace, not law. A lot of people, the Judaizers and those who wanted to make Jews, not disciples, were, were saying law, law, law is so important. That's what changes people's lives if you can get people to uh, submit to the law. And it wasn't that the law was not important, but Paul said that, listen, the law is like a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. That, that's not the ultimate goal. That's that's the channel that helps us to see when you hear the Ten Commandments and you see all of the law, you recognize, I can't keep all this. I am one who needs grace, needs favor that cannot be deserved. And so Paul was proclaiming that, a message of grace, not a message of law. He was also proclaiming forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Jesus made a substitutionary Death and his blood washes away sins. It's not by merit of men or women or young people or children. It is by what God has done that we are given forgiveness. It was a message of something he loved to talk about in the epistles. He loved to talk about reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. How? Well, God has taken the initiative in that reconciliation. He's not said, he, he didn't say, come on, gin it up, work it up, work it up, and be reconciled to me. He did call us to repentance and to believe in what Jesus did, but then he gave us the ability to repent and to believe. And so what Paul was proclaiming was a message of reconciliation based on God's initiative to man, not based on our efforts to obey the law. We were not in a situ put in a situation where there's the scales of justice and we're trying to let the good outweigh the bad. And if it does, we have the favor of God. It never works. Because then God turns around and makes it clear to us, if you've broken one command, you've sinned. You're a lawbreaker. And who hasn't broken at least one command. We know that we've all sinned. 
So the message was to go out, and the message was to go to everybody. The message that Paul was proclaiming was a message that breaks down all cultural barriers that nothing else besides the gospel could penetrate or had not at that point. It was a message that was to go to both Jew and Gentile, but they didn't really like each other a whole lot. We'll see why in a minute. But the breaking down of cultural barriers, the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, has a lot to do with that. The gospel changes Jews. The gospel changes Gentiles. It's to go to everybody. Paul proclaimed a message of justification that came by grace alone through faith alone in what God has done in Christ. Justification. Paul proclaimed a message of eternal life where when sin came, there was a curse put on us that we're dying. And when Jesus does his work, he reverses the curse and now he says, you have life eternal. Pretty good deal. Eternal life. A reverse of that curse. Not only all of that, but the message that Paul was proclaiming, the gospel that he was proclaiming, had to do with every aspect of life. You read through Paul's epistles and you find this. The gospel changes our life's perspective in every sense. It, not, it affects who you will marry. It affects how you will parent. It affects in a child's life how they see their parents. It affects how you do your work, what kind of friendships that you will endeavor to make. The gospel changes how we love people. The gospel changes how we see our government. The gospel changes every aspect of life because it's like we were given a set of glasses, a new lens through which we see life when we come to know Jesus. Everything about it begins to look differently. Well, Paul's defense and his example of the power of the gospel reveal that power. Not only is he saying this, but he's demonstrating it by his life. He who used to persecute the church is now preaching the gospel that he once hated. Remember, Paul was a Jew of all Jews and a Pharisee of all Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin. This guy had a pedigree that nobody could uh, match. And he said, we'll find out. I count that as just nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Paul's defense and his example just show the significance of Jesus' redeeming work and the effect of the gospel causing many to glorify God. He had a transformed life. Okay, so to whom did Paul go with this message and where did he go to spread this message if it was so important? Well, Notice, first of all, that after he received the message by, and he was converted, he went, first of all, to Damascus. Is it, why does he mention that? Well, do you remember Paul, when he was confronted by Jesus, knocked off his horse and blinded for a time? He was on the road to Damascus. To do what? Persecute the church. Persecute Christians. Kill them if he could. Put them in jail. If That's a good second Second thing, persecute them. 
But, you know, to go back to Damascus might, might make one think, you know, this, this might be a little risky. The people who expected me to come were expecting me to be the enemy of the church, and now I'm going and I'm the friend of the church, and I'm proclaiming the message that those Christians believe. Was it wouldn't have been the easiest place to go. I think it might have been easier to go somewhere where he's totally unknown. And everybody could say, oh, listen to the wonderful words this man is preaching. They don't know anything about him, never heard of him. So, but in Damascus, they would have known. And not only that, but he says, then he went to Syria and Cilicia. Cilicia happens to be the place where Tarsus is born. I mean, is located. So what? What was Paul's original name? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Went right back to his hometown. Everybody in the hometown probably would have thought, the Jews would have thought, here's a hero of heroes. Man, he's a Jew to beat all Jews. The tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee that nobody could equal. And here he comes and says, I count it all dung that I may know Jesus Christ. I don't think that would have been the easiest place to go. And apparently in Syrian Cilicia, there were some 14 years tied up in there before he went back to Jerusalem. So what's the point? Paul was preaching a universal gospel. He wanted to go back to those areas where he was known in part because he's got something to say even to those Gentiles who he used to hate. You know that I read, a, I read several Quotes from, I never could identify exactly where they came from, but they're old, like back in these days. The Jew-Gentile separation. Here was what some of the Jews thought about the Gentiles. God has created the Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. Let me just congratulate every one of you. you know, we're all Gentiles here. So this was, would have been the popular opinion about us all. You've created to fuel the fires of hell. Uh, and often, Gentiles were called, Paul's writings illustrate that often Gentiles were called dogs. Now, if you have a pet that you love, you may think, well, that's not so bad. But I don't think they meant it in a good way. Dogs. On the level of dogs. That's who we are. Paul was taking a gospel message to the dogs. To those who were, some thought, would be fueling the fires of hell. And his proclamation to these Gentiles was new and not the most popular thing to do. So Paul was saying, I received this gospel by revelation, and now I'm proclaiming it to everybody. Paul wrote to the Romans. At one point, Romans 11, he explains that the Gentile believers were like wild olive shoots grafted into the vine. And he said to the natural branches, the Jews, he said, don't be arrogant because you were an original branch. You could be lopped off. You could be pruned. Every branch grafted in are the natural branches. Every branch receives its life from the vine. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Nothing to be arrogant about. The gospel had to be proclaimed, and it had to be proclaimed to everybody because it was a universal gospel. It was a gospel that saved the lives of men and women and young people and children, 
and gave him a whole new lens to see life through, transformed and changed life. The gospel had to be proclaimed to everybody without regard to Jew-Gentile kind of thing, cultural things, racial things, social divisions of any kind. It had to be proclaimed. That's what made Paul a bit different. Now, some think, well, he only went to the Gentiles. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. Yes, he was the apostle of the Gentiles. But you notice you read through Acts, almost every time he went to a new place, he went to the synagogue first. It's not that he didn't care about the Jews, but he was taking a message that was going to transform the lives of everybody who believed it by faith. So this gospel that had been revealed and that was being proclaimed to everybody transforms life. It does transform people's lives. The gospel first changes the messenger, and then because that has taken root in the messenger, then it begins to shine out of that messenger, and people hear the message given by someone whose life is different because of that message, and they say, I need to listen to this. There were many people who would say, I thank God for what I see in Paul, who was Saul, Paul, who is preaching this faith that he once persecuted. Now, missionaries through the years have taken this principle. My life has changed. I've received this gospel by, by the Lord calling me and revealing himself to me. And my life has been changed. And I need to, as I proclaim that, I'm, I'm seeing lives changed. Every missionary hopes for that. I've mentioned to you many times, and some of you remember Garney and Sunny Townsend, but I remember one particular conversation I had with Garney uh, when they lived with us. They spent nine months in our house, and they taught Spanish in the school. They taught Spanish at night among the adults, led some mission groups to Mexico. and just Sonny played, I mean, Garney played the trumpet. Sonny played an accordion, and they had a blast, and we had a blast. It was wonderful just to be next to them. I asked Garney one time, I said, Garney, you spent 30 years in Bolivia. What churches were planted and birthed as a result of those 30 years? He thought for a while and he said, well, you know, I planted one and then that one planted two. And I said, well, when you left after 30 years, how many new churches were there? And he said, well, it was about 300 when I left. He's I thought, I planted one church my whole life and almost died. So, <laughs> 300 churches. Can you imagine? What motivated these people? They, they went out according in a trumpet under a banana tree and started. And all of a sudden, people came and got saved. And then there was a church in that village. And, and then another one. Not exactly like that in the States, but, it's, but it worked in Bolivia. And, but I, these people had... They'd been changed by the gospel. They wanted to proclaim the gospel in, in every way that they could. And they saw lives transformed because of it. One of the things I've always admired about Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, he had a vision that no, no other missionary had at the time. He wanted, he, many missionaries were in China, but they all lived out in the coastal areas where it was a little bit safer and you could get away if you need to. But, but uh, he said, I know the Lord wants the interior of China. So eventually organized, started an organization called China Inland Missions. Hudson Taylor endured 
all kinds of persecution and even criticism among the other missionaries. But he endured all of that, went to the interior of China. Incredible fruit. It's the story of missions. People who have received from God, proclaimed what they've received, and demonstrated the truth of what they received by their own life. And nations were changed. You know, last week you heard from Keith Norris, from Keith and Patty were here. I'll say this because I've known them for a long time. I met Keith when he was a teenager. But one of the things that I know, when they lived in Indonesia, they endured wars, tribal wars often, but wars in Indonesia. They endured tsunamis and other weather-related things that killed thousands of people. And they were there to try to say, how do we understand tragedies like this in light of the gospel? And they just kept staying there. And they stood strong through all of that. And lives were transformed. Their life was transformed. They stood strong in those times, proclaiming the gospel, living out the gospel. And a nation was affected. When they were told they couldn't stay there any longer, they just went across a little ways to Australia and then made trips, short trips back and forth, but they, they didn't run. Jacob and Carol, people precious to our own hearts, they have endured opposition and favor. Sometimes favor will try you, you know. When the Muslims come along and say, we hate you, you kind of expect that, but when they come along and say, well, listen to you, then you kind of think, okay. <laughs> and Jake has had both of those, both of those responses among the Muslim people. But do you know, through it all, pandemic, favor, opposition, you just keep standing there praying, trusting the Lord, showing up every day, faithfulness, and lives are transformed. That's the way it works. That's what missionaries have counted on all of their lives, and not just missionaries, but people like us. Paul said it like this, verse 23 and 24. The churches in Judea didn't know him in person, so he said this. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul said that, and then he said, they glorified God because of you. I used to think when I read that statement, I guess I used to think, well, maybe Paul's a little stuck on himself. <laughs> but I've thought about it a little differently. Is there anybody here who wouldn't like when you come to the end of your life and it's time to go to be able to look at your sphere of influence and your family and your friends, those that you've had a part in their lives, and to say, they glorified God because of me. Don't say that in pride. You say that in a miracle has happened here. You know, people glorify God because of me. Thank God. We know it's not us. It's the gospel that makes the change and the transformation. And so Paul was saying, I've received this by revelation. I'm proclaiming it. My life is transformed. And those who hear, your life will be transformed as well. The goal 
was not to make Jews, but to make disciples. Now, I want to close with this thought. We are not Apostle Pauls in this room. We don't have the same calling, but the same Lord that confronted him is the Lord who confronts us and changes our lives. We may not have a Damascus Road experience. We may not get knocked out of our car or off the horse, or we may not be blinded for a time because of the glory we've seen and heard. Well, it may not be like that for us. But do you know, the same gospel that Paul received in such a powerful way is also revealed to us by and through the written word of God that Paul only had the Old Testament at that time, the written word of God applied by his Holy Spirit to change our lives as well. Do we want to think, well, I don't have that kind of testimony like Paul had, so I don't have a testimony. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> Cindy and I used to be young. When we were young, we traveled, we had a season where we traveled all over and, and we led youth revivals in many churches. We were in uh, Vermont at a United Methodist Church that had had an outpouring of the Spirit. I've, I've just rarely seen so many people brought into the kingdom of God uh, at that time. Uh, not, I mean, before we got there. We just went there to encourage the believers and see what the Lord would do in our efforts. So we drove through the coldest country on the face of the earth to get there. We endured things like signs, big signs that said, danger, frost heaves ahead. And we looked at each other and said, what in the world is a frost heave? And go around the corner and find out it means the road's all torn up because water got under it and froze and expanded and tore up the road. Anyway, had a lot to learn. We got there, it was 34 below zero. Not wind chill factor. That was 84 below. We'd never been anywhere like that in our lives. Eager to go home. <laughs> but do you know, when we were there, I'll never forget a group, a whole group, I don't remember how many, probably 20 or 30 people, young adults mostly, gathered around in a circle. Cindy and I were there with the pastor, and we were listening. And everybody was just kind of saying, or not everybody, most of them were just saying, this is how I came to know the Lord. This is my story. And they were sharing. And, and they were phenomenal stories. There's Ross and Helen Hind, Ross and Ellen Hindman ended up spending their the rest investing the rest of their lives as missionaries to France. But they had just been saved out of the hippie culture. They they drove this VW bus with carpet on the roof. Uh, they were hippies. And they weren't they weren't uh, living a lifestyle you would admire, but then Jesus touched them, transformed their lives. They gave their testimonies, and every, it seemed like everybody in the room had some magnificent kind of thing. I was this, now I'm that. The Lord brought me out of this horrible stuff, and now look at this. Oh, here's a phenomenal story. They got to Cindy, and they said, well, what's your story? And she said, well, I was brought up to love Jesus, part of First Baptist Church, South Houston. At age seven, I gave my life to Jesus and was baptized, and I've been walking with him since. And uh, she was sort of saying it like, ooh, 
I don't have a terrible story to tell. And, but you know, I still remember Ellen Heinemann with tears in her eyes said, would to God that were my testimony. Maybe it's not the road to Damascus experience, but it is no less life-changing. When Jesus gets hold of us, we repent of our sins and believe the transformational gospel. And our lives are transformed even if the transformation distance was just here as opposed to everywhere, just big, the change is just as real. Our lives too, your life, my life, can be a fragrance that the Lord will use to draw others to Himself that maybe someday it could be our testimony too. They glorified God because of me. May it be so of every one of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the big and the small, the dramatic and the simple. Lord, thank you that however you do this, Lord, you draw people to yourself. Lord, I thank you that in this congregation there are children and young people who have been hearing about you and, and learning to love you early in life. How we thank you for that, Father. And how we pray, Lord, that they would never have to look back across their life with tons of regret and wishing that they had taken seriously that that they grew up on. Lord, would you plant a seed deep into their hearts, Lord. Cause them, Lord, to love you, to follow you, and even to believe in the testimony of others that what a blessing it would be to know we've been brought up to love Jesus. Our lives have been changed by Jesus. I, too, repent of my sins. I, too, am baptized. I, too, want to follow Jesus all of my days. Lord, we often Pray for our children that they would have no wasted years or time in life. We ask you that again, Lord. And we ask you that for every adult in the room and every, everyone, Lord, that we reach out to. May we be an example of a transformed life, even if it wasn't all that dramatic, but nonetheless real. Lord, may we be an example that leads other people to glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.